Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Trisha Bobita. And I'm Greta Johnson. This week, we are talking about math. Don't run away. Yeah, if you were one of those people who just then was like, oh, God, ew, bear with us, we promise. This mathematician we're talking to is super cool, and she will probably get you at least, like, incrementally, slightly less terrified of math. It worked for me. <laughs> also, later in the show, our friend Peter Sagel from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me joins us in our hashtag moonshot for Miranda quest to get Lin-Manuel Miranda on the show. And we talk a little about Hamilton, and Peter complains a bit. So, yeah, exactly what you'd expect it to be. <laughs> But first, our conversation with Dr. Eugenia Chang. She is the scientist in residence at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago. Now, the Art Institute is like our super fancy, really nice museum. This is where the Van Goghs live in Chicago. And the School of the Art Institute is where a lot of visual artists go to learn how to be Van Gogh, I guess. And meanwhile, we have Dr. Eugenia Chang. <laughs> That's the Chang. only option. They have yeah, this is it. Van Gogh 101, <laughs> oh, no. 201, 301, and math classes. Yes. This is super cool. Eugenia Chang is the scientist in residence at the School of the Art Institute, and she teaches a class that's essentially like math for haters. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Eugenia Chang is now teaching math to art students here in Chicago. She has a Ph.D. from the University of Cambridge. She's pretty much as fancy a mathematician as you can be. But when she got all the way through getting all those degrees, she realized she wanted to make math accessible not just to other mathematicians, but get the rest of us excited about it, too. And so she knew that the way to most of our hearts is through our stomachs (laughs) and wrote a book called How to Bake Pie, P.I., that explains complicated math using food. She actually got a chance to do this with some rolling pins and some flour and butter (laughs) with Stephen Colbert on The Late Show. Let's hear a taste of that. How do you teach the mathematics of mathematics? What, and I don't want to get too technical here, the hell does that mean? It means taking very simple ingredients like we have here, butter and flour, doing complicated things with them and making something delicious. Okay, I'm slightly scared of you right now. Okay, all right, yes, aha, aha, okay, thanks very much. Okay, so how, teach me something about math with cooking. Look at this. That, what is that? See the math in that? Isn't it delicious? It looks good. What is it? It's a millefeuille. Millefeuille. Which, exactly like that, means 1,000 layers. Do you see 1,000 layers? I see, no, I do not. I see three layers. You're not looking closely enough. Look more closely. Look at all the delicious layers inside that puff pastry. Yes, ma'am. Do you see that there could be... There could be layers in there. There could be layers. Could there be 1,000 layers? Could there really be 1,000 layers? I don't know. It's the power of math. (laughs) Oh, I just love her so much. The power of math. She does make it delicious. That's Dr. Eugenia Chang on Colbert, which I don't think a lot of mathematicians end up on late night talk shows. So that's a pretty good indication that she's not your normal mathematician. She'd be the first to admit that. I also love his reaction to her intensity. Like, it's just such a fun dynamic between the two of them where he's like, oh, my, hello. And she just has that sort of enthusiasm in person, too. I mean, she's so excited to tell people about math. 
which I think is so important because not all of us are super excited about math. Yeah, I got out of math as quickly as I could in school. I always wanted to be a good student, and math was difficult for Mm. me. It was not something that came naturally at all. And so I'm one of those stereotypical math-phobic folks who doesn't really understand why anyone would want to do this if they didn't have to, or at least I didn't understand until we talked with Eugenia Chang. We thought it would be really fun to start with what you're doing right now with the School of the Art Institute. I think partly because so often stereotypically you think of the art student as like maybe the least mathematically adept, you know, just in terms Mm -hmm. of the dichotomy. It's like you either do art or you do math and science. What's the reaction like to some of the stuff that you're doing there? Well, I think it's fair to say that the art students often self-identify as the worst mathematicians. Right, as right. Well. I mean, how do Not you help break them, that down? But many of them, and I actually persuade them to come and take my class by saying, "If you always hated math and you think you're terrible at math, this is the class for you, because maybe you want to give it one last chance. Don't give up yet until you've taken this class, because maybe, just maybe, I will change your mind and show you that math is not that extremely boring, dull thing that you did in high school, but it's something exciting and not so different from art as you think." So- I can't decide if that's a really low bar that you're setting or a really high bar. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, this is honestly my dream job, and. I love teaching art students and I love being in Chicago and I did have a very normal academic professor job in England and I had to fight for it, I fought for it, I had to put up with people saying all sorts of things and once I got it I realised something quite strange which was that I actually wanted to do something more useful. (laughs) but there was part of me that couldn't quit until I'd got tenure because I didn't want people to say that I couldn't do it because I was a woman and then once I got it I thought well I've done that now I'm going to go and do something more useful which is reach more of the world because you know what if I don't teach calculus someone else will teach calculus but there aren't that many people who want to and are in any way able to explain high level mathematics to a wider public and I truly believe that it's important to find the thing that's most unique about yourself and use that to the best of your ability to help the world And so when this job came up at the School of the Art Institute, I thought, this sounds amazing. So what's the first day lecture like? First of all, I teach students how to send polite emails to professors. And then... (laughs) (laughs) Would we learn from that as well? Do we need to go through that? Would would that be helpful for you guys? So then I talk about what math is really and I get them to talk about what their preconceptions of math are and I do write a syllabus that really says math is not what you think it is so I talk about what it is really and I show them pictures I mean they are art students so I show them pictures from my research and the pictures are I mean I love the pictures in my research but it is my research but (laughs) people think that math is all about numbers and it's all about getting the right answer and it's not it's much more interesting than numbers and it's much more interesting than getting the right answer. And we were talking backstage just now about our frustration that the world these days seems to be going all about black and white, yes or no. There's only two answers, this one or this one. And if you don't believe this one, you believe that one and then you're the baddies and then you will fight with each other. And really, the world is a much more interesting place than that. And so it's a shame to divide it all into yes and no. And people think, oh, well, math is just all about getting the right answer, isn't it? But math isn't just about getting the right answer. Math is about understanding things better. And it's about looking at the world around you and looking at it from a different point of view in order to gain more insight into it. And honestly, the art students love that because they don't want to solve problems. They're art students. (laughs) (laughs) They don't want to get a great job and they don't want to... (laughs) 
they they just want to make things and they want to make things that somehow give their point of view on the world and math is nothing but giving a point of view on the world and every subject is defined by your way of thinking and the mathematical way of thinking is logic and so it says what can I understand about this situation using logic it does not say I can understand everything about this situation through logic that's a big mistake and sometimes mathematicians make that mistake and think they can understand the whole world through logic and then they get very upset and frustrated (laughs) and then they maybe withdraw from the world and then they create the stereotypes of mathematicians who are kind of crazy and who sit in dark corners or run off into the the mountains or don't want to talk to people and the unfortunate thing about those stereotypes is that they kind of do exist but the more we talk about them the more we perpetuate them because then people go oh I'm not like that so I can't do math but you don't have to be like that to do math I mean maybe you have to be like that to do that kind of math but there's more there to appreciate even if you're not going to be the next fields medalist or whatever just like you can walk into the art institute and admire a painting even if you can't do it. And you can go into a restaurant and eat the food, even if you can't make the food. And you can go to a concert and listen to the music, even if you can't play the music. And I like to say to my art students that I'm going to present math to them as that as well, so that you can appreciate it, even if you can't do it. I have no aim for all my art students to become research mathematicians. That would be a high bar. (laughs) But my aim is to get them to appreciate why math is there and to appreciate some of its power and its beauty. And my class is called The Elegance of Abstraction. That's good. That's good. I will admit that I'm a math-phobic sort of person. I was wondering if you were going to admit I admit. That. And, and I think, you know, I fell early on into the trap of thinking that, you know, the school math was not easy for me. And so I thought that I would sort of get out of it as quickly as possible, right? So if there was a way to take a different elective and take a different class instead of a math class, that was always where I veered because I didn't think I was good at it. And so I, I veered towards the things I liked better. But then hearing you describe it, I'm really thinking of it more as the way I do think about music and people who can do math is it does feel like magic to me. You know, somebody who can hear a song on the radio and sit down and play it on a piano. Or I remember I was a sophomore in college the first time people kind of were sitting around in a dorm room and a lot of my friends were studying acting and journalism and all these things that we would think of as sort of more creative, quote unquote, pursuits. And our one friend who was a math major came home and said, I made some new math today and I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) I thought it was all made a long time ago and put in these books. And and so I think that that was the first time I really realized. And then hearing you talk and and relating it to something like baking that's very accessible and thinking about it as as a more creative pursuit. But do you have to learn all the stuff that's sort of hard and about getting the right answer before you can learn the cool stuff? Or can we reverse the ratio of how we teach? That's a great question. So if you want to go and be a research mathematician and if you want to go and do very high level mathematical things, then you kind of do have to learn all the things. But if you don't want to do that, that doesn't mean that you shouldn't do anything. It's just like we can all sing in the shower. That's okay. (laughs) There's no rules against singing in the shower. No one's going to tell you off if you're out of tune or something. And yes, singing well is difficult, but singing in the shower it's fun, right? It's nice and reverberating. The water's making lots of noise. And the same kind of thing is true of math and of cooking. And that's why I used food to explain math in my book. Because I remember when I was in cooking classes at school and it was kind of scary because if you didn't do it right, maybe it would go wrong and you get told off. And I think this is why a lot of people get put off with math as well. Because if you do it wrong, you'll get told off and you'll have a big cross mark. Whereas in other subjects, there isn't really a wrong exactly. So you, can, you write a story. No one's going to tell you your story's wrong. It's wrong. 
And so I had this problem with sport because I'm terrible at throwing and catching and always have been. And I shouldn't say that because that's like what people say about math. They say, oh, I'm terrible at math. But the fact is I'm very bad at catching. And so if you don't catch it, then you've kind of done it wrong. It's just gone on the floor. There's a definite yes, no situation going on there. But but when you're making things or when you're making food for yourself, there isn't so much of a doing it wrong if no one's looking. You know, you can be nervous if you're whether your souffle is going to rise or flop. But then actually fall and souffle is quite delicious. It's gooey. It's really good. <laughs> and so if you decide that the only thing that matters is whether you like it or not, then you have a lot more freedom. And personally, the time I started really enjoying cooking was when no one was looking and I could just go into the kitchen. No one had to eat it except me. So I just have to make it delicious for me. And it's the same with math. The fun part is when you start doing your PhD and you get to make stuff up for yourself. And then the only criterion, first, first of all, you have to be logical. It's just like with cooking, you should probably not give yourself food poisoning. But that's it. So with math, you have to be logical. If you don't follow the rules of logic, then everything will collapse. But that's it. Then you can make up any rules and then you just have to decide whether you like it. And... When you're inventing your own things, no one tells you what to do. And so I was very frustrated all the time in school because everyone was telling me what to do and I wanted to do other things. And I think that children all have experienced that. And I read an article today saying, oh, children should learn through play until they're eight. And I thought, eight? Eighty? Everyone should learn <laughs> through play all the time. And what is play? I think play is when you get to make up your own rules. So actually, we talk about playing sport, but I don't like playing sport because I don't get to make up my own rules. Those rules are already there and I have to follow them. The best thing is when you so get much to make catching. up your... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so much catching. <laughs> when you get to make up your own rules... And I think that if we, as you say, turn it round so that children get to make their own things up, people say, oh, but then they won't learn this, this and this and this and this and this. And I, I go, but they're not learning it anyway. I mean, so we try and teach people how to solve quadratic equations. Who, by the time they're an adult, can still solve a quadratic equation? By applause. By applause. Who can still do a quadratic equation? Oh, oh really? This is a very nerdy really? audience. Nerds. Uh, <laughs> Said well, with love. Well, the, these things are not exactly useful. And for people who don't enjoy them, it's like going up a mountain, right? If you're going to take someone up a mountain, you can go really fast and lose them. And then you can say, well, if we don't go this fast, we won't get to the top. And I'll go, well, you haven't gotten to the top anyway. You've got them to the top, but if you've lost all the people you're trying to take, why not go more slowly, take them somewhere, but at least make sure they enjoyed it. And so I think that it's much more interesting to let people make up their own rules and see what the consequences are. And school and university should be a safe place where people get to experience with consequences. And it's kind of like that with, with life consequences. You don't have full responsibility, so you get to experiment a bit. You kind of make mistakes. You do stupid stuff. You go, oh dear, maybe I shouldn't do that when I'm an adult. And it's kind of like that with math as well. It's Instead of saying to people, okay, this is the order of operations, you have to do it like that. How about saying, well, how do you want to do it? What happens if you do it like that? Oh, it's okay. Maybe that wasn't so great. Or maybe it was, maybe you like it. And so I always tell my art students, they can make up their own rules. And they can make up their rules to be anything they want, as long as they don't cause a contradiction. And even if they do cause a contradiction, that's okay. It just means their whole world has imploded. <laughs> Speaking of consequences, I guess, right? But then you just do something else next time. Three, oh, it's the magic number. Yeah, it is. It's the magic number. Somewhere in that ancient mystic trinity, you'll get three. It's the magic number. Still to come, Dr. Eugenia Chang tells us why one plus one does not always equal one. Tripod or to make a table stand, and it takes three wheels to make a vehicle called the tricycle.
Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Three minus four is... Negative one. That's right. And six times a billion is... Six billion? Nailed it. And 54 is a 45 north. And what is the answer, Marta? Nine. No, it's eight. No, it's nine. Yes, I was testing you. It's nine. And that's a magic number. You're listening to Nerdette. Let's dive back into our conversation with Dr. Eugenia Chang. One of my favorite examples that I've heard you give before in working with art students and talking about mathematics is that one plus one doesn't always equal two. Oh, yeah. And people say to me, well, you're a mathematician. Math is really easy, right? I mean, one plus one just is two. And it's not. It depends. One plus one is often two, but it depends what world you decide to work in. And there's a perfectly sensible world where one plus one equals zero, where you say I'm not hungry, and then you say I'm not not hungry, which means that I am hungry. And if I say I'm not 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 hungry, that means I'm not hungry. So one not is the same as three knots, and two knots is the same as zero knots, so one add one is zero. And that's a very important mathematical world, actually. It's called the integers mod two. But my student made a stained glass window depicting one plus one equals one. And I said to him, that's very interesting. What's your rule? And he said, it's that when you combine one color with another color, you get one other color. You don't get two colors. And his stained glass window depicted all the overlaps of different color combinations to make other combinations. And it was both physically and abstractly beautiful. That's so awesome. I think about that like once a week. I know, I think about it. Like you, you first told, you, I first heard you say that, what, three months ago now? <laughs> in May. And I think about it at least once a week. And it's just one of those things that, again, if I had heard that when I was six, I might still be doing math. But- <laughs> and that's why I ha- I'm doing this work to make sure that people do hear about this thing earlier. And it's never too late to get into math. But also, I think it's really important for children to hear this. And I love it when I give, I give a lot of public talks now. And when there are six and seven-year-olds in the audience, I just think that's fantastic. Because my mother is the one who showed me really cool math stuff when I was little. And not everybody has a mother who can show them cool math stuff when they're little. And so I feel like I can be out there being the surrogate person who tells people cool math stuff when they're little to show that it's not all those boring things that you might have to do in school. I think it's time for homework. Yep. Homework. All right. So one thing we like to ask our guests to do on Nerdette is to assign homework because nerds, like the ones out here who are doing quadratic things in their spare time, uh, quadratic things, um, you know, so if we are maybe inspired to think about math again and we haven't since school or to think about it differently, 
what's a homework assignment that we could do or something we could try to sort of get the ball rolling in our renewed interest in mathematics? Well, here's something that I do a lot. Now, mathematics, you have to understand that mathematics isn't just about numbers. It's about thinking logically about everything. And I think we can all agree that the way the world is going at the moment, it would be really great if people did think more logically about some things. <laughs> And I don't know about you, but I wander around social media when I'm frantically procrastinating doing something more useful. And I get really wound up. And I th then I analyze why I'm wound up, because that's what the kind of person I am. And, and I've realized that because I see so much illogical stuff going on in the world around me. And I feel like I, I honestly feel like it's like someone is shoving disgusting food down my face. And that as the illogic hits my brain, my brain hurts from this gross stuff that's hitting my brain all the time. And often what it is for me is memes that aren't logical. <laughs> and then arguments against them, which also aren't logical. And so I've started classifying them. It's very nerdy. <laughs> According to what logical fallacy they are. <laughs> They are uh, making... Um, Illogical Memes is a good name for a band. <laughs> I just want to make sure we put that on the record before we move on. So we're so classifying and thinking about the stuff that's sort of rushing past us on social media and taking a breath to think about it and whether or not it's logical. That sounds like good advice between now and November. Mm -hmm. And especially the especially painful ones are the ones where you agree with the argument you agree with the outcome of the argument, you agree with the conclusion, but the argument they're making is illogical because you don't want to point out the flaw in the argument because it sounds like you're disagreeing with the conclusion. And because people aren't very subtle thinkers these days, if you disagree, if you point out a flaw in the argument, they will immediately assume that means the conclusion is false, which isn't true. It just means that the argument wasn't valid. So finding those ones, I find it's particularly cathartic to just, I don't know, I just write them in my diary. This is Dear Diary, today I saw a meme that said this. It was a straw man fallacy. Thanks. <laughs> Meme Diary would be another good band name. <laughs> that is excellent homework. Thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you. Your other homework is to read a little book that just came out that we are very excited about called Hidden Figures. It's by Margot Lee Shatterly. This is also going to be a movie soon, but the mm -hmm. book is out now and you must read it. It's about the mathematicians who helped win the space race who happened to be African-American women who were not getting any credit for all the work they were doing back then. But now they're about to. They're getting a movie. Yeah, we're super excited about not only the book, but also the movie, just because this is one of those like perfect American dream stories, right? It has to do a lot with the war and the fact that most of the very qualified mathematician dudes were all fighting. And so we ended up with these ladies at NASA who were awesome and also women of color. And finally, we get this book about them and it's called Hidden Figures. And it turns out Margot Lee Shatterly actually knew a lot of the women she's writing about. So it's super cool. Definitely check it out. The movie comes out in January and you'll definitely want to see that, too. In just a minute, Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me's Peter Sagal tells us what he would ask Lin-Manuel Miranda if he got the chance. Hashtag moonshot for Miranda. <laughs> As regular listeners of Nerdette now know... <laughs> Greta and I are slightly obsessed with the musical Hamilton and its creator, Lin-Manuel Miranda. He's in Chicago right now because the first out-of-town production of Hamilton, an American musical, will be opening in <laughs> Chicago later this month. 
And so we thought, man, wouldn't it be great to get to talk to Lin-Manuel about both Hamilton and In the Heights and all of the amazing stuff he's doing. But he is, in fact, potentially the busiest human on the planet. So I think definitely the busiest human on the planet. We're not sure if he's going to have time while he's here, but just in case, we're trying to get prepared for what would be a very exciting interview for us. Mm -hmm. Hashtag moonshot for Miranda. (laughs) So we enlisted the help of a friend and fellow Hamilton superfan. If you listen to our Game of Thrones recaps with Peter Sago, you know that he tried to weave in at least one Hamilton reference per episode, if not more. You may have heard some of those references try to sneak into... Wait, wait, don't tell me as well. So we decided to have Peter stop by and tell us what he would ask Lin-Manuel if he got the chance. Peter Segel. Yes. We have asked you here today. Yes. To help us in our campaign to get Lin-Manuel Miranda onto Nerdette. What have you tried so far? (laughs) We've tried a fair number of things. I actually have a friend who may have gone to middle school with him, so Mm -hmm. we're looking into that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, pretty much the official channels, and now we're kind of skirting. Really? The officials and seeing what we can do. And you yourself have also been in this situation. Well, I have been in a related quest, <laughs> which is not so much to get Lin-Manuel Miranda on our show, which we have attempted to do uh, through unsuccessfully, unsuccessfully okay. so far. That makes me feel better. Uh, but mainly I have been on a quest for the past year to get Lin-Manuel Miranda to like me, which even <laughs> as I say... I realize is very sad, but true. Um, basically, I was asked before we walked into the studio, well, what question would you want to ask Lynn manuel Miranda? Yeah. And basically, when I really thought about it, the question that I really am dying to ask him is, will you be my friend? Which Aww. is sad, but reflects the kind of bachelor in the Bobby Soxer level of fandom that I am feeling for Mr. Miranda. Yeah, I mean, what also does that say about what a wonderful human being this He seems really be? nice. Doesn't he seem just like the best human? He's a very nice man. <laughs> and, and there's an additional problem for me, personally, which is that he <laughs> seems to be friendly and fond of many people I know, which ah. is annoying to me, because why not me? So, for example, a few weeks ago, uh, the author Patrick Rothfuss came through town. He is a friend. I like Patrick. I would like to say Patrick likes me. He came to see my show. We had dinner together. It's fun. He's a nice guy. I like his writing. What does Patrick Rothfuss do after he leaves Chicago? He goes to New York, sees Hamilton, and is invited backstage. I don't know if you're aware of this, but like there's this special hall of fame of people who get to go backstage and Lynn will post a picture of him. Just thrilled that he gets to spend a little time with person X, person Y. This has ranged from Beyonce to Jonathan Colton, also a friend. Um, and friends with Beyonce? Yeah, well, Beyonce came. Uh, no, yeah, no, yes. But, yeah, <laughs> Bay and I go back. Um, yeah, right. And no, and the fact that Patrick Rothfuss, again, tremendously nice guy. I have nothing against Patrick. Got to go to New York, got to see Hamilton, got invited backstage. When I should point out at this point, I did not. You did see the show. In I did New York. see the show in New York. So and, you're you're better off than me and Trisha. Yes, I know. <laughs> but was not invited backstage to have my picture taken with Lynn. Murders me. <laughs> I just lie in bed at night and I stare at the ceiling and say, "What have I done wrong in my life that Lynn Manuel Miranda did not invite me backstage?" I I know that's sad. Is it harder to be that one degree of separation away so many times than to just be more sep- yeah, more degrees away? I, I have another friend who's an obsessive Hamilton fan, uh, Paul of Paul and Storm, who oh, did, yeah. of course, the the Peter Segel patriarchy, patriarchy jingles. jingles yes. And and Paul is also an obsessive uh, Hamilton fan, and he and I for many months would 
just trade teeth gnashing messages about person X we know, Jonathan Colton, John Hodgman, many others, Patrick Rothfuss, who got that invitation, that golden ticket, if you will. And we did not. And and then Lynn, of course, is also I call him Lynn. We're in my imagination, yeah. we're friends. Yeah. He tweets a lot and sure. he tweets about things he likes, many of which are podcasts and or radio shows. And yet, strangely enough, not mine. Aww. I know. So that's how pathetic I am about Lynn Manuel Miranda. What do you think you could be doing better, Peter? I think that I Yeah, how do we this make is, ourselves worthy? This is what I this is no actually this <laughs> right. is where I said to Paul cuz Paul and I like I mean, let's Paul be productive would say, "Oh my god, Lynn tweeted about person X, can you believe it? What do we got to do here yeah. to get like some connection?" And finally I said, "I am over it. I am done. I have abased myself tweeting at Lin-Manuel Miranda saying complimentary things about Hamilton, working in Hamilton references both into our podcast and it went and get away with it into my own radio show. <laughs> I am done. I shall fight no more forever." I am like the dwarf in The Ring of the Nibelung who forswears love. I am like done with Lin-Manuel Miranda. I don't need him. I don't care. He can go on and live his own life. I shall live my life and I shall not care about the fact that he does not like me. Except I still do. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't being very helpful because you wanted to know like, how can we help you get him on your show. And, and the only thing that I can offer yeah. is given the history – of the fact that he has been friendly and appeared on various shows and podcasts with everybody I know but me, mm-hmm. there is now a good chance just karmically you will get him on the show so I can be even more annoyed. Oh, yeah, that's true. That could help. I like that. Maybe I he would and like I can, it. I can't believe it. He went on Nerdette and he wouldn't go on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. God damn it. That could happen. Although, what are the odds that we have him in studio and you don't somehow accidentally end up in the room? I I'm will, just if saying. I, if you guys like get him in the studio and we're the studio, for example, where we're sitting at WBEZ, I will sneak in the night before and hide under <laughs> yeah, his you desk will. Yeah, you just will. so I can surprise him. <laughs> that is not surprising no, to any of us. I know. <laughs> All okay, right. Well, sorry. I wish I could be more helpful. Here. Yeah, I know. Like I said, the only thing I can offer is the karmic destiny that somehow just to make me feel worse, you will get him on the show. It's worked for other people. It worked for you. <laughs> that would be a win-win for us, I, right? I, it would. To annoy it Peter would. and get to talk to Lynn Manuel. Yeah, I know. Those are kind of our two it's, uh, it's your favorite, favorite things. I know. What What better? <laughs> you know, it's like it's like <laughs> it's like Everybody Greta and wins. Tricia. What is good in life <laughs> to annoy Peter Sagel? <laughs> talk to Lynn Manuel Miranda. <laughs> Everybody wins except Peter. That's what, that's really, <laughs> yes. Oh, oh good. well. My, Perfect. Good luck, guys. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Peter. Thanks again to Dr. Eugenia Chang. Her book is called How to Bake Pie. That's P-I. She's also really fun on Twitter. She's at Dr. Eugenia Chang, C-H-E-N-G. Thanks to Tyler Green for helping coordinate the live show at Steppenwolf Theater and Adam Yaffe for engineering. The show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Joe Dassault. Our intern is Annie Newen. Our executive producer is Joel Meyer. You can listen to us wherever you're listening to us because, in fact, you are already listening to us. But we would really love it if you would take the plunge and subscribe to us on iTunes or follow us on NPR One or do whatever you have to do to make sure 
sure this thing shows up in your little box every week. Little box being a smartphone? Little box being a smartphone. Or yeah. a laptop, thanks, I suppose. Thanks. I mean, you know, whatever whatever you got to do, man. Make sure we're always <laughs> in the little box you carry around with you. I don't know why I called it a little box, but thanks for calling me out on it. Thanks to Loopy M for the five stars on iTunes. Ooh. Loopy says that occasionally while listening to the show, they laugh out loud, so that's exciting. <laughs> and also nice. that they often tell their friends about it. That is a extra gold star. You gave us five gold stars, I give you six Ooh. for spreading the good word about Nerdette in real life. It helps us out a lot. Thank you for doing that. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at Nerdette Podcast. Nerdette is a production of WBEZ Chicago where there are delightful podcasts for nerds of all stripes, especially if you are a music nerd, a music nerd maybe, mm. you should check out Sound Opinions. You can find out more at nerdettepodcast.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. This is good homework this week. I want to do this homework. I know. I'm excited to read Hidden Figures. We're going to do it. Yeah. I'm going to actually read this You're going to read it? Yeah. I look forward to seeing that. I really like space. (laughs) If it's a book about space, I'm for sure going to read it. It's still a book, Trisha. I know. (laughs) Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.